Okay, 2 Kings chapter 10 tonight as we continue. If you remember, we have been seeing prophecy fulfilled in chapter 19 of 1 Kings, 1916 I think it was. We've seen Elijah prophesy about Jehu becoming king. And Jehu wiping out um, the descendants of Ahab, which God said he would make an end to. So we've seen last week in chapter 9, Jehu came in and began, he killed um, Ahaziah and Joram. No, Joram and Ahaziah. Then it gets a little confusing at this point in this, because really, in the uh, at about the same time, we had Ahaziah and Joram that ruled in the northern kingdoms, but at the same time, we had it the opposite way in the southern kingdom, Judah, which is one tribe, and then there's the uh, ten and a half to eleven tribes in the north. They had it, Jehoram and Ahaziah then ruled, and so it gets a little bit confusing when you start looking at this. Uh, to, to see um, and read because within a couple years they both had Jorams and, and Ahaziahs. And so anyway, in chapter 9 we seen that first uh, Jehu is announced king by all of his, after he is anointed by the servant of God that Elisha sent. And then he goes and he goes and um, Kills first Joram, who was uh, the northern king of Israel. And then he goes and he kills Ahaziah, who was only king for a year, in Judah, the southern tribe. And it doesn't end there, though, because then he goes on back to the city, remember? And there is Jezebel, who is mocking and in some ways trying to see where she's at. She's painted with black paint. And he says to three of the eunuchs, he says, throw her down. And there's another prophecy being fulfilled because he threw her down. Her blood splatters everywhere. This sounds horrible, but this is what happened to evil woman. Now remember, Jezebel was a Phoenician and her dad was a, a, a priest of Baal. Who, he was a, a, a high priest for this false god that uh, they were worshiping. And Ahab had married Jezebel. And they had brought this Baal worship into the northern tribes. And, and their first step was when they, they brought in the golden calves and began to worship. And acted like they were still serving God. Then they just kept going further and further away. And that's what happens with false religion. It's what happens with apostasy. It's what happens to us if we're not careful. We can think we're doing the will of God. We can start off good and then not finish well. Because we get off track when we begin to listen to lies. That's why it's so important to stay in the word of God. To stay looking in the mirror, the word of God, the, 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 the royal law. And you look at yourself every day in the mirror and the word and as it looks back at you, it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of your heart. And it continues to speak to you. But you have to listen and be a doer of the word and not a hearer only, 
deceiving yourself. Because we're going to see now that even though Jehu, Jehu means uh, Jehovah is he, right? Even though Jehu is fulfilling prophecy, being used by God to, to destroy the house of Ahab, that Jehu really in many ways is just a more, he's an evil guy that's being raised up by God and allowed by God to destroy um, this evil king's family. And so I'll get into that more as we go because he's not really living for God either. Although in pretense, he looks like he is. But we're going to see that he started off doing the will of God. And then when power gets into his hands, it, it, it corrupts. Mm. Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And if we're not careful and we don't continue following our relationship, building our relationship, nurturing our intimacy with God by spending time with him... And spending time with his people that can keep us accountable, we can end up off course and apostate just like the very people that God sends us to share the gospel with. So we have to be very careful. Now let's start chapter 10, 2 Kings chapter 10 verse 1. Now Ahab, and Ahab means uh, father's brother or friend of a father. Ahab had 70 sons in Samaria, Samaria means watch mountain. So he's got 70 sons. Now listen, um, the 70 sons don't have to all be actually Ahabs. It can be his grandsons. So they can be sons from other sons, right? Or he had many wives also. Listen to me. He had many wives also. See, when we're introduced to Jehu... What does it say? Jehu, chapter 9, son of Jehoshaphat, son of who? Son of Nimshai. Well, when he's introduced and God tells him to go, he, he, he tells Elijah in 1916, he says, go anoint Jehu, son of Nimshai, as king over the northern tribes. And so he doesn't even mention Jehoshaphat. And in the Jewish culture, a lot of times you don't even see all of the generations. Who is Jesus? He's the son of David. But there was literally, what, 28 generations in between the two. But they call him the son of David because he come from his loins. And so uh, in this sense, uh, there's 70 sons and they're in Samaria and they're Ahabs. Now they could have been all from different wives. He had Jezebel, and we're sure he had other wives, but some of them could be grandsons. And I went into all of that just to make you know that don't think that's weird that he had 70 sons. And it could even be a perfect number of sons uh, with, with seven and 70. So we're just looking at that to make us sure we understand it. And Jehu, see, he's not finished. He's done away with both of the kings, the one in the northern tribe, Joram, and then Ahaziah in the southern tribe, Judah, he wrote and sent letters to Samaria to the rulers of Jezreel, or the rulers of the city. Jezreel is where the main temple was at uh, uh, for Baal worship and for where Ahab had established 
uh, a ruling place for the northern kingdoms. And we're going to remember that they had to, uh, in Bethel and in Dan, they had the golden calves. But in Jezreel is where he had the throne room. Uh, so he wrote this letter to these elders of the city or those rulers in, in, in Jezreel. What does Jezreel mean? Jezreel means God sows or God will sow. And to those who reared Ahab's sons, so those that were in charge, they always put servants in charge, and they weren't parenting. They were being trained. They were being taken to school and all these things. So there's those elders that are there that uh, were in charge of and protecting and taking care of these 70 sons. And what does he say in the letter? Verse 2. Now, as soon as this letter comes to you, since your master's sons, Ahab's sons, it's really uh, in this sense, we know that he just killed Joram, so uh, are with you, and you have chariots and horses, that's power, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God, uh, Psalms, is that Psalms 20 and 6? I think that's 20, verse 6. I think you're right. I think it's 20 and 6, and we just did Proverbs 20 and 6. That's pretty interesting. And then he says, you got chariots and horses, so you've got power. you got your master's sons, a fortified city. Jezreel was a fortified city also, and you got weapons. So since you've got all of that to trust in, Jehu says to these elders and these that are rearing up uh, Ahab's sons, choose the best qualified of your master's sons. Set him on your father's throne and then fight for your master's house. So he's challenging them. See, and if they know anything, they know that God had prophesied that Jehu was going to do this. Now, they might not know it, but they should know the word of God. And you should know the word of God. We should understand what's going on because of the word of God, because God foretells what he's going to do. Now, Old Testament, no word of God written down. God used prophets, and he would meet with them, and he would foretell them. He would tell them exactly what he was going to do, and then that prophet would go and foretell it to the people. He would go foretell it. And they didn't have any written word to understand what God was getting ready to do. But now in New Testament times, you and I, me and you, prophecy is a gift and what a person does is he already has the written word. God's already said everything he's going to do. And so now a person using the gift of prophecy would go and foretell what the word of God already says. God reveals it. He uncovers it. And then you tell, talk about it. He shares it. And you see it also because of the spirit of God teaching you. But he foretells it with power what God is already doing. Listen to me. The word of God is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's able to divide the bone and the marrow and the soul and the spirit, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And if we keep looking into the perfect law of liberty, into the word of God, that mirror, it will talk to us. It will transform <coughs> us. It will conform our heart and our desires into that of God's, and we will be proclaiming God's goodness instead of our own. We will recognize that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And our salvation is a gift. It's a free gift from God. And that should humble us to have such a great gift. So he's going to challenge them for the throne. And he sends this letter to them. 
And he says, you've got all of these resources. You've even got the throne room of the northern kingdom. Now set somebody on it and fight. So he challenges them to a fight. Listen, listen. Who's on the throne of your life? Is it this simple that somebody would write a letter and just say, I'll put somebody else on the throne? Can you just choose anybody to be on the throne of your life? Or self. Can you just, yes, or self. Can you just choose anything to sit on your throne and just go, okay, this is good. <coughs> Who's on the throne of your life? Are you choosing Jesus the Christ to sit on the throne of your life? Because he's already fought the battle. The fight's over. We fight from victory, not for victory. We stand in that victory. Or are you still all the time trying to put a different power, a different king, a different chariot or a horse, a different son? Are you still always trying to find a, something to believe in to put on the throne of your life? Or is Jesus enough and the fight is over and now you can rest and you can be at peace and now you can learn to be like Christ. You can learn to obey God the Father like Christ did perfectly for us. Listen to me. There's a time to rest, and that's now. In the perfect victory, the perfect gift, the perfect salvation that Jesus Christ brings. Enthrone him in your life and fight no more. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Look at verse 4. But they, look at the testimony we get. Look, but they, these rulers that have the sons, 70 of them, they have chariots and horses, they have a fortified city, they have weapons. They were exceedingly afraid. They were greatly afraid. Watch what fear does. And said, look, two kings could not stand up to him. Talking about Joram and Ahaziah. How then can we stand? See, listen, sometimes, sometimes we're afraid of the wrong things. Now, there's a time to be, now this word afraid is interesting because it, it, it means fear. It means um, to be afraid. But morally, if you're talking about morality, it means to revere. So a fear of God in morality is to revere him because he's perfect, holy, and true. I mean, but it means to frighten or put in fear. They're thinking, oh my goodness. Jehu just killed both kings, the northern and the southern tribes. How can we stand before him? Look at these men that are with him. Remember when, he, when, when the servant of Elisha went in and anointed him, he was sitting with all the other men. And, and, and he spoke up. He was the leader of all these fighters. <coughs> of the army of, of, of uh, the northern kingdoms. So they're exceedingly afraid. And verse 5, he who was in charge of the house and he who was in charge of the city, notice there are all these different governors and leaders, the elders also, and those who reared the sons uh, sent to Jehu, saying, we are your servants. We will do all you tell us, but we will not make anyone king. Do what is good in your sight. Listen to me. Listen to me. 
What has fear made you make king in your life? See, what are you afraid of? We were talking about this earlier. Fear will make you do some really stupid stuff. We will be afraid. Now listen, fear is going on on our planet right now. Even though the COVID numbers, even though the death numbers, even though there's more deaths that, that are going away, there's more cures, there's more things that can help. Listen, people are becoming more and more afraid. Why? Because fear grows. Once you give yourself over to an emotion like that, it only grows. Unless you have Jesus to take that fear away from you and to put it morally upon him, you can become afraid and then you just keep giving fear more power in your life. Only God can take that away. Now these have seen this. They're afraid and they're going to keep giving that fear. Because, listen, fear is not going to stop. This demand of the first letter is not going to stop. It's going to keep asking for more and more allegiance to it. And so is Jehu. And that's what the devil does with his false power. See, Jehu has no power. The only thing Jehu is doing is fulfilling the word of the Lord. God has all power. Right now in your life, Jesus has all power. He says it in, in Matthew 28, 8, 18. All authority, all power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Listen, God has all power. God is all powerful. I don't know what you're afraid of, what you're fearful of, what is controlling your life, what you've enthroned in the heart, in the life of yourself, whether it's fear or some type of sin. But whatever's on the throne of your life has power over you. And the only one that seriously should have that is Jesus. If he is lifted up in your life, these are afraid. What are they afraid of? They're afraid to die. Listen, that should not be in the life of a Christian because Jesus defeated death. Jesus has proved that. And if you believe the gospel scheme of things, we know death has no victory over us. It's been defeated. It has no sting. Beautiful in the eyes of the Lord, or excuse me, precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. That's the finish line. That's the crown. That's the streets of gold. That's eternity with him. And yet, the enemy has convinced us that we're supposed to be afraid of death. We're supposed to be in fear. We're supposed to be led around. And this is what the devil has always done with sin. Do you remember Adam and Eve? What was the thing they said? When God called for them after they sinned. We were afraid and we hid ourselves. Listen, the righteous are bold as lions. There's no reason to be afraid of these liars, of these deceivers, of the works of the devil. If we understand what God has called us to do and who he has made us in Christ Jesus, we can walk out and in love proclaim God's goodness. In love, in mercy, proclaim God's truth. These are terribly afraid of the enemy. So what does he do? 
Listen, they, they, they surrendered their entire lives over to Jehu. Do what is good in your sight. Then he wrote a second letter to them. Listen, it's not going to stop. COVID, and then a variant, and then a variant, and then another variant. A mask, and then another mask, and another mask. This isn't going to stop because they've got control with fear. And lies. Then he wrote a second letter to them saying, If you are for me and will obey my voice, whose voice are you obeying? Listen to me. Jesus says in John 10 27, My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. See, we're supposed to obey God's voice. Listen, if you're for me, because they said, what did they say? We are your servants. We're your servants. We willingly will follow you, Jehu. Do what is good in your sight. And he says, if you are for me and not your previous king's family and will obey my voice, take the heads of the men your master's sons and come to me at Jezreel by this time tomorrow. So he's saying, kill them. Kill them all. If you're truly for me. See, they're not afraid of Ahab's sons, but they're afraid of Jehu. Isn't that interesting? Because they have power over them because they've been ruling over them. They've been rearing them up. They've been. They've got a relationship with them. They're not afraid of the 70 sons, but they're afraid of that one. That one they killed two kings. What are you afraid of? We choose you. We're afraid. What are you putting on the throne of your heart in your life? What has fear done to you? Now the king's sons, 70 persons, were with the great men of the city who were rearing them. So they're right there with them. Verse 7. So it was when the letter came to them that they took the king's sons and slaughtered 70 persons. Notice the language that's being used. They didn't just kill them. They slaughtered them. They cut their heads off and put their heads in a basket and sent them to him, to Jehu at Jezreel. Now notice that. They sent them. They didn't go. They were supposed to. Look what the letter said. And come to me at Jezreel by this time tomorrow. They were still afraid. See, this is making them more afraid. They would not even go out. They were afraid that Jehu would kill them if they showed up with the heads. They would not even obey him fully. So this shows their disloyalty. If they were really going to be loyal to him, they would have had their heads cut off and they would have went and brought them to him. They do not. They sent them by the hands of other people to Jezreel because they are indeed afraid of Jehu. And they had reason to be. We'll see in the next following verses. Then, verse 8, 
a messenger came and told him, notice they sent by a messenger, say they have brought the heads of the king's sons. And he said, lay them in two heaps at the entrance of the gate until morning. Now this was a common practice, both getting rid of the rest of the those that were heirs to the throne and also putting their heads out like that so people could see that they were destroyed and that there was nobody else to be on the throne. And then they would establish their own throne through that type of power and fear. And see, and this is what happens. See, when you're not in the Word of God, when you're not listening to God, you're not learning to articulate the voice of God, you're not building a relationship with God and following God, then the devil takes and cuts the head off the power of God from your life, and then he enthrones himself, and he becomes the leader of your life. And you still think you're following God because you said a prayer once, but you're really following fear. You're being moved by emotion. You're being moved by the, by the, by the world and its government. You're being moved by something else and following the masses instead of the voice of God, instead of the word of God and the power of God and standing for God. We all begin to move in the same direction, and it's not the voice of God because that's been head, that power has been cut off because of fear or some other thing that's going on in your life. And there they are, the, the heads of these 70 sons slaughtered because of fear. Notice they were motivated by fear and they killed 70 people. That's not a small thing. That fear would cause them to kill 70 people. Look at the fear that's caused on the planet right now with COVID, with the lies about masking, the lies about vaccination, and look at the people that are ready to be done with their own family members because they do not agree with each other about masking and about COVID and about these lies. Listen to me, because this fear for your life is setting you up to be okay with the death of others the same way they did it in Nazi Germany over the Jews and Christians then. And Christians would sit in their church by the railroad tracks and just sing worship to God and, and pray songs louder as they heard the trains go by to annihilate and slaughter the Jews they pretended like they were doing the will of God when they were really just afraid of the government of the devil. They were really just afraid and believed the propaganda of liars. And they were okay with annihilating and slaughtering millions of Jews instead of standing and hearing the voice of God and standing up. And we're ready to do it all over again. All because of fear. But it's not just because of fear. Notice that the head, the power, because of apostasy and walking away from God has been cut off. So that, that fear is unfounded. But when you walk away from God, you'll follow anything that leads you. How sad, how sad we are in the church today. Oh, not the true church. I'm not speaking against God's bride, but against those who would be moved by fear and emotions and their own life, instead of laying it down for others, they would rather kill 70 other people who've done nothing so that they can try to protect their own life. 
But you take note to the text. Read the text. They're getting ready to die themselves. It doesn't save them. The devil only uses them as useful idiots. And then he kills them also. So here's the heads on both sides of the gate so that all can see that none is still alive of the sons. Verse 9. So it was in the morning that he went out and stood. This is Jehu. We're not given his name, notice. God's not lifting him up. And said to all the people, you are righteous. Indeed, I conspired. He committed treason against my master, Joram, and killed him. But who killed all of these? So now he wants to shame them. Now he wants to say, we're in the same boat together. Now you can't get away. You're already in this. You're a murderer like me. See, the devil would say that, and he was a murderer from the beginning. And he wants you to think you have to stay in his car, that you don't have to repent, that you don't have to get out of his car, that once you've already done it, you've got to stay there. And he's a liar. You can put Jesus on the throne of your life by repenting. You don't have to stay there. Verse 10. Know now that nothing shall fall to the earth of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab. For the Lord has done what he spoke by his servant Elijah. That should have been the period. Should have been the end. Yes, he did. He just killed Ahab, Je or excuse me, Jezebel, and all the sons. The lineage is cut off. That's what God said. Right? And that's true. Shall, excuse me, nothing shall fall to the earth. That means that every, God, every word that God says will come to pass. Always. See, that's all the devil's trying to do is keep God's words from coming to pass. If he could just make something not happen, then God wouldn't be God. He can make God out to be a liar. If God said it was going to happen, it didn't. But know this, just as Jehu just said, nothing shall fall to the earth of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab, for the Lord has done what he spoke by his servant Elijah. Remember that? It was in 1916, I believe, of 1 Kings. I could have that quote wrong. You can look it up. This should have been the end of it, right? But look at the next line. Verse 11. So Jehu, now we get a name. See, before we weren't getting a name, now we're seeing who did it. It doesn't say, so he killed. It says, so Jehu killed. Do you see that? All who remained of the house of Ahab in Jezreel, and all the great men and his close acquaintances and his priests, until he left him none remaining. Now maybe he was supposed to, according to the word of God, kill all the house of Ahab. But he wasn't supposed to kill everything that was living, moving, and breathing. Look at this. He wasn't supposed to. I believe this is an overkill when he kills the priest, when he kills and leaves nothing, his close acquaintances. Now see, this is a man after his own glory. This is a man seeking his own power. When a king rises to the throne and he doesn't trust God, he has to get rid of everybody that might be trying to take his throne. But see, if he really believes God, he can be established, he can stand firm, he can proclaim what God is doing, and he doesn't have to proclaim himself. 
But now we get his name. He's proclaiming himself. Remember our, our memory verse? Proverbs 20 and 6. Most men, or it's common for men to proclaim his own goodness. But who can find a faithful man that would just proclaim God's word? That would just lift up Jesus? We see here him begin to lift up himself. If he was just obeying the word of God, he would have killed Ahab's family. But he goes on to establish his own power by killing the rest. The elders of the city, the rulers, and the priest. And he left none remaining. Now we're going to get to it. We're not going there yet. But I'll show you when we get over here to his life and his testimony... I'll show you where God actually punishes him and kills him for this. Because he went beyond and he dies in this same valley when God has him killed. It's in Hosea. We'll get there to chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. But I don't want to go there yet. I want to keep flowing here. Verse 12. And he arose. He's not finished, see. And he arose and departed and went to Samaria. And on the way, everywhere he goes, we're going to see now that he's promoting his own kingdom. On his way at Beth Eked, that's not in your, uh, uh, the way of uh, uh, the shepherds, Jehu met the brothers of Ahaziah, king of Judah. So this is not Ahaziah, the king um, that was Ahaziah, king of um the northern tribes, Israel, but of Judah. And see, Jehu had just killed their brother and said, who are you? So he sees them. And so they answered, we are the brothers of Ahaziah. We have come down to greet the sons of the king and the sons of the queen mother. Now, I don't know if these were um, from a different wife. I don't know if they didn't know what was going on. Sometimes, like I said, when you have Joram and Ahaziah both in the northern, it was first Ahaziah and then Joram, and then in the southern tribe of Judah, you had uh, uh, Ahaziah and then Joram becomes king. And it gets a little bit sometimes wordy and hard to understand. But as you see this, look what happens when they come down uh, to greet and just to visit. In verse 14, they come in unawares. They don't even know what's going on. And they're going to be taken captive and then killed. And see, sometimes that can happen in the church. People are looking for help. They're looking for hope. They're coming to visit. And then all of a sudden, they're taken captive by a false gospel, by a false teacher, by a liar that begins to speak to them and is a good orator. And then they begin to listen and then they die. Watch what happened to them. He said, take them alive. So they took them alive and killed them at the well of Beth Ekid. So they were coming down. He met them where the shepherds were shearing. And then they take them to the well and they killed them. And there was 42 men and he left none of them. See, again, this is overkill. He's become bloodthirsty and he doesn't want nobody to take his throne, take his position, take his place. We see a, a, a type of this going on in our world today. Where our government and our world government, and they're beginning to kill. Oh, you say, oh, take them alive. Yeah, they're taking them captive first, alive with propaganda and lies. 
but they're going to kill them because when they lie to them and they use propaganda to deceive them and they get to the following them, they're not going to be following God and they're going to die. Death. See, that we need to be lifting up Jesus. People need to be following God's word and we're following men and earthly governments and that will lead you to hell, to death. Did you have something you wanted to share? Listen to me. He's got a taste for blood. And he's continuing to take it. Verse 15. It gets a little bit more. Now we're going to start bragging. Now when he departed from there, he met... Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. He greeted him and said to him, so he knew who he was, is your heart right as my heart is toward your heart? Now listen to me. Here's a really good question to ask yourself, to have God check and ask you, is your heart right? Listen, can we actually sit in the church and live the American dream and be okay and pursue the world, pursue everything the world is pursuing, chase goods and riches and all the things of this life and, and say our heart is right? What is on the throne of your life? Who is king in your life? Listen to me. This is what Jehu says to Rechab, or excuse me, Jehonadab, uh, the son of Rechab. Now, do you remember the Rechabites? You know anything about the Rechabites? The Rechabites' hearts were really good. They were following God. I'm not going to go there, but you can go there on your homework and read in Jeremiah 35. Just read the whole chapter. But the Rechabites, they were people who wanted to serve God. They wanted their desires to change. In fact, they refused to drink any liquor because they wanted to separate themselves and live for God. And there is a reason for us to separate ourselves and live for God and not to do the things that the world is doing, not to be drinking, not to be chasing strong drink, not to be chasing the things of this world and putting them on the thrones of our life, but to keep the, the, the God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us on the throne of our life, to be very careful that we're not deceived and end up apostate and we're following a false king and act like we're following God. But the Rechabites, they, they, were, they had the liquor put right before them. God even tried them and tested them. Told Jeremiah to take them in and offer them cups and bowls of wine and strong drink. And they said, no, our father has taught us not to drink. And we will not be part of that. And we build houses and we plant gardens. But we do not partake of the things of this world. So I, listen to me. There is strong argument to stay unspotted. Pure and undefiled religion, James 1.27, is to take care of widows and orphans and keep yourself unspotted from this world. If you go out and you start to look like a Dalmatian and you put other things on the throne of your life, you don't know if it won't lead you away from Jesus being on the throne of your life. And so when, they, when we say, is your heart right? Now Jehu, his motives are different. Jehu's the king, and he's actually doing the will of God. He's actually fulfilling prophecy. He's actually wiping out the family of, of uh, Ahab, who was evil. They brought the Baal worship into the country. 
They deceived many. Many went to hell because of them. And God is judging them. And he's asking somebody else if their heart is right. And his heart is moving away and it's wrong. Because he's killing. He's bloodthirsty. He's establishing his own throne. He's really done with Ahab's house. But he continues to kill. I think it's called overkill. I think he's went beyond what God has called him to do. So that he can establish his own throne and make himself more powerful. But this is a great question. Is your heart right before the Lord? The only way you can know if your heart is right before the Lord is to get alone with the Lord. To spend time with the Lord. To have intimacy with the Lord. To ask him to search you and know you and try you and know and see if there's any wicked way in you. And lead you in his way everlasting. That's what his spirit does. As many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the children of God. Romans 8.14 but much of the church is being led by and thinking that because they have a good job and they get a paycheck and they have nice things and they dress nicely and they have good manners that they're okay with God. And that is not a measurement of godliness. A measurement of godliness would be your intimacy with God. Are you spending time in his word? Is your heart right? Not is your house right. Not do you have all the right sayings of, of gather and faithful and believe and you go to church on Sunday and you have your Bibles laying out. Is your heart right with the Lord? Is your heart right toward others? Isn't that what Jesus said? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. First right with God and then right with others. And he says, as my heart is toward your heart, be very careful, be very careful with those that are promoting themselves and comparing your heart to their heart. Your heart needs to be compared to God's heart, to the word of God. It is what is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide the bone and the marrow and the soul and the spirit, and is a discerner, a judge of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Not Jehu, not man, not somebody power hungry, not the pastor, but God Almighty. And your intimacy with him is what's at most importance. And Jehonadab answered, it is. His heart was right. Jehu said, if it is, give me your hand. Come along with me. See, I think that uh, Jehonadab makes a mistake here. He throws himself in with, and this is what the apostate church wants the true church to do today, is to come and go with them, to follow them. Let's all join together. It's part of the convergence so that the false prophet can lead. And I believe the false prophet will bring false revival. That's just my opinion. You need to have intimacy with God. You need to know you're being led by God. You need to know that God's on the throne of your life and not fear, not, not, not Fauci, not some other thing that could be on the throne of your life and you're being led by your emotions. Make sure you're being led by the Spirit of God. That's between you and God. I believe this was a mistake because Jehonadab, who would, who would be known to have a good heart, known to be following God, known to be living with the Rechabites that did, they separated themselves. They were living for God. They were doing the work of God. They were doing what they were supposed to be doing. Now he's given Jehu some credibility, even though Jehu has walked away. First of all, you should not 
throw in with any of the northern kings because they're all worshiping golden calves. They're not worshiping in Jerusalem. They're not coming there to surrender to God where the temple's at. And Jehu is a northern king. Be very careful. I believe that that's going on in the church today where they want to make us all have peace together. But you cannot take the hand of somebody who is not worshiping God. Be very careful who you're following. So he gave his hand and he took him up in his chariot. Then he said, look, watch what he says. Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So they had him ride in his chariot. And when he came to Samaria, he killed all who remained to Ahab in Samaria till he had destroyed them according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Elijah. Now listen, I believe it's overkill. I believe it's a power grab. I believe it's the same as our government and the world government today. The one world order that's coming in. Yes, prophecies being fulfilled. Yes, the house of Ahab has been destroyed. Same thing today. Prophecies being fulfilled. God's in control. God is allowing this government to come up. God is allowing one world government to come up because he prophesied it was going to happen and people will die. And God is allowing it, but he's judging those who will ignore him. He's judging the world, in a sense, because it's reaping what it's sown. God's already said it's going to happen. Think about this for a minute. With our president in America, his slogan is Build Back Better, which is the One World Order slogan. With Charles Schwab and the Great Reset is Build Back Better. It's the same plan that Joe Biden is following. And yet Christians still, who say that they know God, but they've joined with blood-hungry, power-hungry, and they're not following the God of the, of the heavens and the earth. They're not following the God of the Bible and follow such a government, believe such a lie, allow fear and COVID to, to put them hiding in their houses. Oh, yeah, and then they announce stuff like, well, uh, uh, the, the economy's growing at 6%. Well, inflation's growing much higher, about five times that. So we're going broke. And we're taking the country down on purpose so that we can bring up a one world order and raise up an antichrist to rule over that. Wake up, church. Wake up, church. 18. Then Jehu gathered all the people together. He doesn't stop yet. He gathers all the people together and said to them, Ahab served Baal a little. Remember, Baal means Lord, Lord of the dunghill, Lord of the flies. He's a false god. Baal a little, Jehu will serve him much. Now, therefore, call to me all the prophets of Baal, all his servants, all his priests. Let no one be missing for I have a great sacrifice for Baal. Whoever is missing shall not live. So he threatens that he's going to kill anybody who serves Baal and doesn't show up to this meeting. But Jehu acted deceptively with intent of destroying the worshipers of Baal. 
See, he's going to prove his zeal. He's going to prove that he is really zealous for God. I'll kill everybody. God never called him to do this. God never told him to kill everybody else that wasn't serving me. Now, he did call Elijah to do that, didn't he? On Mount Carmel, the 850 priests of Baal. But there's nowhere that we see that this is what he was supposed to be doing. Make sure you see this because he stopped, he's not really following God. He's doing his own plan to make him own self popular. He wants to kill all of these. And, and some people will read this and go, well, what's the big deal? He just killed all the devil worshipers. That's not what God calls us to do. God calls us to preach the word of God. God calls us to go and make disciples. He doesn't say go kill all the devil worshipers. He doesn't say go out and kill everybody, kill all the people who are doing abortions. Make he doesn't say any of that. Him. He says go preach Jesus. And if he be lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. See, he's not looking to make people do anything. He's looking to, to, be a, uh, to show his love and for that great love to be seen and people to say, you know what, I want some of that love. And they will desire to know Jesus Christ. One day God will judge all the synagogue of Satan. One day God will judge all the enemies of the cross. But it's not for you and I to do that. We're just to preach the gospel and to make disciples. He's acting deceptively. Many will say, well, what a great thing. That was a good trick. Verse 20. And Jehu said, proclaim a solemn, solemn assembly for Baal. So they proclaimed it. Then Jehu sent throughout all Israel, and all the worshipers of Baal came, so that there was not a man left who did not come. So they came into the temple, into the house of Baal, and the, te and the temple of Baal was full from one end to the other. And of course, this is the temple that Jezebel had Ahab built. Jezebel's dad, as I told you, was a priest in Phoenicia. She was a Phoenician, a priest in Phoenicia to the Baal temples, and they, that's where they worship. Twenty-two, and he said to one uh, to one in charge of the wardrobe, bring out the vestments for all the worshippers of Baal. Now, the vestments—that's clothing, that's garments. If you were wearing this, it would be obvious what who you were serving. Because it was a vestment or a garment or some type of outer clothing that showed that you were there to worship Baal. Now pay attention to this because if you were a worshiper of the one true God and you knew the word of God, there's no way you would put on this garment. Because it would make you look like a devil worshiper, a Baal worshiper, a Lord of the Flies worshiper. So watch what happens. They bring them out. So he brought out vestments for them. Then verse 23, what can they do now? Then Jehu and Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, the Rechabite, went into the temple of Baal and said to the worshipers of Baal, Search and see that no servants of the Lord are here with you, but only the worshipers of Baal. See, now think, listen to me. If there's anybody in this building that believed in the one true God, they would never put on one of these vestments. So now you know that everybody in the building, listen to me, now you know everybody, how they're clothed. 
Are you clothed in Jesus? Are you being clothed in Jesus? Are you putting on the, the clothing of Jesus, the robes of white? Are you putting on the character and the nature of Jesus? Or are you accepting the government, accepting the vestments, accepting the garments of this world? Are you still being clothed with that? See, we're supposed to, to be further clothed with Jesus, further clothed every day, always growing, and never putting on the lies of this world, never putting on the vestments or the things that would cause us to look like a servant of Baal or the devil. I'm looking for a verse. I will get it for you. It's 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to have it here any second. Look at this. Look what we're supposed to be doing. 2 Corinthians 5. Am I there? 14? Oh, no, that's not the right verse. Ah, where is this verse at? Are you serious? Okay, it, I'll tell you what it, what it says. It says we are... Where did that verse go to? It says that we are not, uh, that we're groaning for to be further clothed. That we want to be further clothed, not. I lost the verse. Anybody know where it's at? That we're supposed to be being further clothed. Oh, is it here? Oh my goodness. What did you do with it, Ray? No. It's certainly not that. Oh, here it is. It's five. Here it is. It's in the first of five. Now listen. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands. Listen, this is why we're not supposed to be afraid of death. We're not supposed to be controlled by death. We're not supposed to run right up and, 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 and put a bullet in our, you know, or do anything stupid or, or, or lick somebody that's got COVID's hands. You know, we're supposed to, 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 to never tempt the Lord. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. Indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. Listen. You want to put on the white, the purity of Christ by believing in him, but then you're continuing to be clothed. For we who are in this tent grown, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Listen, we're dead when we're born. And then when we come to Jesus, we can be clothed in life. He is life. He is eternal life. And the more we put on Christ, the more we're being clothed, not with the vestments of Baal, but with the vestments of life. Not Lord of the dunghill. Look what it says. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. 
So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. See, we're not afraid of death. We're not to be afraid of death. Now, I'm not telling you to go out with a death wish. That's not what I'm talking about. But we are indestructible until God is finished with us. We can trust the Lord. We can trust the Lord. These are all now back in our text, 2 Kings 10. Twenty-three. Then Jehu and Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, went into the temple of Baal and said to the worshippers of Baal, Search and see that no servants of the Lord are here with you, but only the worshippers of Baal, or Baal, however you want to pronounce it. So they went in to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings. Now Jehu had appointed for himself 80 men on the outside, and he said, If any of the men whom I have brought into your hands escapes, whoever lets him escape, it shall be his life for the life of the other. Now it happened, as soon as he made an end of the offering, the burnt offering, that Jehu said to the guard and to his captains, Go in and kill them. Let no one come out. And they killed them with the edge of the sword. Then the guards and the officers threw them out and went into the inner room of the temple of Baal. And they brought the sacred and they brought the sacred pillars out of the temple of Baal and burned them. Then they broke down the sacred pillar of Baal and tore down the temple of Baal and made it a refuge dump to this day, a dung hill. See, that's who Baal is: is Lord of the dung hill. That's what he is. He's the Lord of death. He's the devil. Thus, Jehu destroyed Baal from Israel. Listen. Mm. It's interesting that Jehu means Jehovah is he. Uh, it's just interesting to me. Now, this is what you might think is amazing. Because we know that one day Jesus is going to, Jehovah is he, Jesus is going to destroy everything. All the works of the devil he's already destroyed at the cross. But one day it's going to be further fulfilled when we cast the devil and all of his angels into the abyss. All the uh, uh, enemies of the cross will be judged. And everybody that is there will be those that have chosen to disobey the Lord God. They've chosen not to be in the fellowship with God. And then listen to the bad testimony. Verse 29, and we'll close this out. However, Jehu, however, mm, Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. That is, from the golden calves that were at Bethel and Dan. Listen to me. What a terrible... You know, he's, he's, he says he's doing the will of the Lord. He was only supposed to destroy Ahab's house. 
Now, many could say that Baal and the temple of Baal, and you can actually tie this in there, and I'm okay with that, that all of this was the cause of Ahab and Mary and Jezebel, so all of this is his house, and now it's all destroyed completely. I'm okay if that's the, if that's the way you want to talk about this. But when you get to verse 29, it says, however. Oh, it gets worse. What's the New King James say that I see it? What verse, Ray? Uh, I just seen it. Um, to wit, verse 29. It says, however. Oh, does it? Yeah, to wit or however, Jehu did not turn away. Listen, listen, New Testament, repent, turn away. Change your mind. Turn from. You destroy all the works, but you did not deal with the root cause. And that is the rebellion that was from the house of Jeroboam who separated in the other prophecy that was being fulfilled because of Solomon's sin. Remember Rehoboam come to the throne and Jeroboam and them said, we don't have anything to do with your house. And that's when they split. And then he realized that when they split, that the people who wanted to serve God would go back to Jerusalem. So he got set up two golden calves and said, here's the gods that brought you out of Egypt. And he had them worship them in Bethel and in Dan. And the, listen, look at verse 30. And the Lord said to Jehu, because you have done well in doing what is right in my sight and have done to the house of Ahab all that was in my heart. Notice this. That was in God's heart to destroy that evil because God's heart is always to destroy evil. God hates evil. The fear of the Lord is to hate all evil. Pride, arrogance, and evil way I hate, he says. And that's what we're seeing is spiritual pride in Jehu here. Your sons shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. So he's going to allow a reward here because he killed all of this evil off. He's going to give him that, right? But look at verse 31. Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart. For he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam who had made Israel sin. Look at Hosea chapter 1. Hosea after Daniel chapter 1. Hosea means salvation. Hosea chapter 1 verse 4 then the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel. Remember, that's where we're at. For in a little while, I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu. And bring it into the kingdom of the house of Israel. Because they're getting ready to go into captivity, the northern kingdoms. It shall come to pass in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. The same place that Jehu is doing all of this, God is going to judge his house. God is going to judge his house. That's the way I understand it anyway. Even though he rewarded him, his heart would not walk. Now walk is always how you're living in the law of the Lord with all his heart. Where is your heart? Is your heart right with God? Is your heart right with God today? That's what he said. 
earlier. And then it goes on. And this is what happens when your heart is not, when you're not trying to have your heart right with God, you're trying to live any way you want. You want to be the authority. You want to be the power. You want to do what you want to walk away from God. God will start taking. Listen to this. In those days, the Lord began to cut off parts of Israel. Listen, because he was not in his heart serving God and walking with God, he didn't deal with the golden calves and the false religion. God begins to allow defeat. When you and I are worshiping, when we allow fear to motivate us, when we allow the American dream or something else to, to, to be on the throne of our lives, um, God will allow defeat in our lives. He will allow that enemy to take land from you, to take part of your life from you, to put you back in bondage. It will become a stronghold in your life. And these are going to become strongholds in, in their, uh, 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 the northern territories until they go into captivity um, some years later uh, because they would not obey the Lord fully. And so he, cut, he began to cut off parts of Israel. You know that's still going on today where Israel is not obeying? They were scattered. They went through the Holocaust. They come back. And now today, they still give up some of the Gaza Strip. They give up things. They don't want to give it up. They do it to appease the kings of the earth still, the people of the earth, so that they can try to have peace. But God is, they have never taken the whole land that God gave them. And Haziel, he's the king of Syria. That's, going to, that's where this is getting ready to happen at. That's why Afghanistan had the shift of power had to happen over there. So that uh, these communist countries can lead the Muslim countries on the northern border out of Syria and come into Israel. It's Ezekiel 38, uh, the Ezekiel's War. And Haziel conquered them in all the territory of Israel. From the Jordan eastward and the land of Gilead, Gad, Reuben, Manasseh. That's those where these, uh, uh, the, the ones who would not enter completely in. Look at this. Wasn't it Gad and Reuben and Manasseh have to travel to Manasseh? They were the first ones because they're on the wrong side of the Jordan. They're on the wrong side. They wouldn't go across the Jordan, so they're the first ones to be taken captive. It's the first territory to leave. Those who will not surrender and come in and begin to live their life for Christ, they're going to be the first ones to be captured. From Aurora, which is by the river Arnon, including Gilead and Bashan, now the rest of the acts of Jehu, all that he did, and all his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So Jehu rested with his fathers and was buried in Samaria. Then Jehoaz, his son, reigned in his place. And the period that Jehu reigned over Israel in Samaria was 28 years. Listen, I think now we're going to go to the southern kingdom again in chapter 11. We're going to go back down to the southern kingdom. We're going to see uh, Joash and um, Athaliah. What's your name? Athaliah? Yeah. Anyway, what's ruling in, in your heart? Is your heart right with God or are you motivated by fear? Is your heart right with God or are you motivated by the world and, and its riches? Is your heart right with God where you're hearing his voice? 
he knows you and you're following him is your heart right with God where you're drawing near daily. You're working on your intimacy. He's knocking at the door. Last week's memory verse, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone will open the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. He wants that intimate koinonia fellowship with you, to take a meal and be personally intimate with you so that he can begin to lead you. And conform you into his image. And we really need to have our hearts right where he is on the throne of our hearts. Not fear, not failure, not victimization, not what the government wants us to have on our hearts. But we're trusting God by faith and walking by faith. Following the author and the finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ being led by his spirit that he sent back to prepare us and adorn us as a bride for the wedding supper of the Lamb. Are you ready? Is your heart right with God? Today's the day to turn away from the golden cast, to turn away from the other idols that we place upon our heart and begin to follow God. Pick up the inheritance. Don't lose territory anymore. Pick up the inheritance that he's given us. And trust him until the day that he comes. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for calling us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Help us to go out and proclaim your goodness, your mercy, your grace, your salvation. Pour out your spirit, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.